Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? You excited to be at church this morning? I don't know. I don't know if you guys are excited. Are you excited to be here this morning? Well, even if you're not, I got enough excitement and passion in my heart for everybody to go around. I'm so glad to be here. I want to thank uh, the band for bringing me up with some music. Let's give them a round of applause here. Thank you, guys. I didn't have a video this morning, so I said, hey, can you help me out? Help me out? Does it come up? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I'm, I'm super uh, just been waiting in anticipation uh, to give this message this morning. And uh, on, on very little hours of sleep, we had our teen prom yesterday. And uh, my wife and I, uh, we actually organized the teen prom for about 215, 250 high school students. And so it was a big event. We had a great time. Actually, uh, last night, here's, a, here's our group of uh, teens that we had. They're a rowdy bunch, but we love them. And uh, that, it was a great night. It was down there in Long Beach. But um, we had a really, really incredible time last night. And, uh, you know, this morning I was thinking about how, how am I going to, how do I want to start this message? And, you know, when you're tired, you're, you're kind of, you got all kinds of weird thoughts, you know, going through your head. And, uh, but but I, I felt like there was a scripture that was put on my heart that I wanted to share with you as we begin. Can we open God's word together this morning? Anybody, anybody excited to hear God's word this morning? Come on, come on. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Uh, nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. All we know that is he liked coffee because he brews, right? I'm just kidding. I've said that one before. It's not that funny. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. The writer of Hebrews says, let us hold strong. Everybody say, hold strong. Come on, say it with some conviction. Hold strong. Let us hold strong to the confession of our hope. Never wavering. Since the one who promised it to us is faithful. You know, the writer of Hebrews wants you to know this morning as we begin that, that God always keeps his word. That's good news, isn't it? He wants us to know that our God is the same God as he is today, as he was yesterday, as he will be tomorrow. That our God never changes. And because he never changes, he says that we can hold strong. We can hold strong to his promises. We can, we can keep a firm grip on his promises that keep us going, even when times get rough. You know, you got to have that kind of determination in your heart. Anybody still believe in his promises this morning? Anybody? I still believe his promises. I still believe his promises. I'm holding strong to those promises. you got to have that kind of determination in your heart. Come on, we can't just be iffy about it. We can't just be uh, eh, so-so about his promises. we got to hold strong. Can I get an amen? amen? And that's really what I want to preach to you today about. I want to talk to you about stopping short. There are people in this room today that I believe are closer than you think you are to something God has promised you. And, and I feel like he's put a message on my heart that I think will give you a little push towards that promise. It's going to give you a little push towards that promise. Why don't you give your neighbor a little nudge and say, I'm going to give you a little push towards that promise. Okay, not pushing hard, just a little nudge, a little nudge. And my scripture, uh, the passage that I'm going to read you this morning is found in Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, that's the sixth book of the Bible, Joshua chapter 6. And, and, and I would like to do something different today because uh, I feel like our crowd is a little sleepy. Um, and so if I can get everybody to stand to your feet as we read the word of God together. You know, in the Bible, 
a lot of times they would stand to show honor to God. And we're going to do that, and partly because I don't want you to fall asleep, because uh, we got a pretty lengthy passage to cover here in the beginning. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. And so march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for how many days? Six days. Do this for six days, he says. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. There we go. That's what I was looking for. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua said, Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the Lord, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. That is God's presence. And so he's saying, take the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, and so after he had given this, this, this call, he, he said, it says the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. Verse 9, the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, don't you dare say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Verse 13. The seven priests... I always feel when I'm reading this passage that I'm reading the same thing over and over again. I don't know if you feel that way. But it says in verse 13, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. We're almost there. We're almost there. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for how many days? Six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. One of my favorite phrases in the Bible, except on that day. Except on that day. We all need those moments in our lives where we feel like we're marching, but, it, but on that day, except on that day, God did something. Isn't that good? Except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around when the priest sounded the trumpets, sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout. Shout for the Lord has given you the city. God, we come to you in prayer this morning standing in honor of your word, in honor of you, Father, because you are so good. And I know many of us, as I read this really long passage, have no idea what's going on. But I pray that this morning you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill your presence in this room. Do what only you can do this morning. I pray for my heart, God. I know a lot of times when I speak, I, I can get this, this feeling or this attitude that I want to impress people. But God, I know it's not about me. It's not about anybody in this room. It's only about one and that is you. It's about Jesus Christ. I pray that we can honor and lift his name up high this morning. We love you. We are grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Now, the title of my message today, you ready? Don't stop on six. 
The title of my message today is Don't Stop on Six. I want to encourage somebody who came to church today feeling a little worn out. I want to encourage somebody today who came to church feeling a little confused and a little frustrated about a situation in their life. This is just an encouraging message. It's an encouraging message because I want to encourage you today, don't stop on six. Don't stop on six. And I'll explain what that means in a minute. But right now, I want you to tap three people around you. And I want you to tell them, don't stop on six. Don't you dare stop on six. I want you to do it. Tap them. Say, don't stop on six. Don't stop on six. You know, I'm not sure if you know this or not, you probably don't, uh, but this June, Ayumi and I, my wife, we will, will be celebrating five years of serving the student ministry here in Lighthouse. And we have loved almost every minute of it. I'm, I'm just kidding. I love this group with all my heart. You know, but one thing I've realized reflecting over the last five years is that I used to get so inspired and, and so excited when someone had enough faith to begin the journey of knowing Jesus. And that's not to say that I don't get excited anymore. It's still an amazing thing when somebody wants to know their Lord. But I get even more inspired now when someone has the determination you know, when somebody has the, the tenacity to keep pursuing that journey. Not as someone who is barely surviving, but in Jesus' name, thriving. You see, the, the truth is there are things that happen every day in our lives that have the potential to cause you and to cause me to stumble, to, to, to stop short of what God has promised us. You know, all over this room, there are promises unfulfilled in the lives of people who love God. All over the room this morning, there, there are promises that are not yet possessed by God's people. And so today from this passage I just read you, I want to share three things. Three things that I believe cause God's people to stop short of his promise. I want to share three things that I think are stopping many of you right now from possessing his promise. You see, people stop short of God's promise for three reasons, and, and there's probably more. But there are three that I see uh, so plainly in this passage. I want you to check it out here. For the first thing, the thing that I think causes many of us to stop short is that your perspective gets blocked. Your perspective gets blocked. The passage that we just read talks about the first battle that the Israelites would have to fight to possess the land that God had promised them. He started with a man named Abraham, the father of our faith. And he told him, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And your children's children, they're going to dispossess cities as they take claim to that land. And then he led the people of God out of e Egyptian slavery through Moses. And on and on it goes. And now we get from Moses to Joshua. And Joshua was the man that God had chosen to lead his people into their promised land. But there's a problem. There's a problem. And how many of us know that there's always an obstacle between God's promise and your possession? There's always a problem between God's promise and your possession. I mean, it would be nice if we would just get it when he said it. But there's always a problem. And we don't like to hear that. Because we just want the, we want the blessing. We don't want the trial. Can I get an amen? I know we, we feel that way this morning. But in this passage, the problem standing between them and God's, pro, and God's promise is a city called Jericho. And if you notice in verse 1, it says, Now the gates of Jericho 
were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. In other words, Jericho was on lockdown. They were locked down. And so it looked like this city was impossible to get into. But how many people know that impossible situations are not intimidating to God? Our impossible, seemingly impossible situations are not intimidating to our God. Furthermore, I want to take it a step further. The sign that something is tightly shut up in your life might not be a sign that you're not going to get in. It might be the sign that the enemy knows he can't keep you out. Because that scripture says that it was because of the Israelites that the people of Jericho had locked down their city. They had heard about God's people. They had heard about all the incredible things God did for them. They had heard about how the waters in the Red Sea had stood up as God led his people out of Egypt. They had heard about all the incredible things and all the victories and, and how God delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. And they were scared. The people of Jericho were scared. You see, some of the stuff that you're scared of is really just a sign that your enemy is scared of you. Come on, somebody. Some of the things that you're scared of in your life right now are just a sign that your enemy is scared of you. And so the gates of Jericho were tightly locked up. And then God says something really comical in verse 2. And I'll explain why I think it's funny. But I want you to see this in verse 2. Look what, he, look what he says. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered. I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting. Man, here's why it's funny. What is God doing speaking to them in past tense? about a battle that Joshua has not yet fought. Did you see that? What is God doing speaking about a battle in past tense that Joshua has not yet fought? Only God can do that. Only God can do that. See, I have delivered, past tense, the city of Jericho into your hands. Okay. All right. Only one problem with that. And my problem with verse 2 is verse 1. You see in verse 1, if you remember, it says that the city was tightly barred up. It was locked down. In verse 2, God tells Joshua, see, I have given the city into your hands. Now here's my question. What do you do when what you see doesn't look anything like what God has said? You see, it's tightly locked up. And yet God says, I've delivered it into your hands. But my question is, what do you do? What do you do when what you see doesn't look anything like what God has said? What do you do when God is speaking a word over your life that isn't coming through? You ever had one of those mornings you're reading the Bible and you're kind of scratching your head? What do you do when someone is preaching about joy and yet you go home still feeling depressed? What do you do when your leader is preaching about peace and your home is full of fighting and turmoil and dysfunction and eye-rolling teenagers? What I'm saying is that sometimes what God says doesn't look like what you see. And the enemy loves to use your problems to block your perspective. You see, the thing about Jericho is that it was a small city. It was a very small city. It wasn't very big, but what you may not know is that its walls were very high. And, and this was the first city that the Israelites would have to take before they could go on on their conquest throughout the entire land. And God would give them great victories 
But it all started with Jericho. It all started with Jericho. And Jericho, although not a big city, was a well-defended city with high walls. In fact, Jewish historians believe that there were only a handful of ways to break into a walled city. But God is about to give his people a strategy that doesn't include any of those ways. And I'll tell you why. Because sometimes in order to be victorious, you need to be willing to do something that looks ridiculous. You know, sometimes in order for us to be victorious, we got to be willing to do something that looks ridiculous. I know I remember uh, having dinner with an old friend of mine from high school. And at the time, my, my wife and I had been dating. Um, and we were talking and I was just letting him, I was just sharing with him about Ayumi and, and, and our relationship and the boundaries that we had to be pure. And we had a desire that we wanted to wait to kiss until we got married. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy. It's like, is that even possible to be pure? Is that even possible? I mean, that's ridiculous, man. I mean, who would want to do that? And I look back now, and, 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 and I don't mind looking ridiculous. Because God has given us a marriage that is victorious. But sometimes in order to be victorious in your life, you, you need to be willing to do something that looks ridiculous. And sometimes to win the battle God's way, you got to be willing to do something that makes no sense. And I'm going to show you that in this passage. You see, one of the amazing things about worshiping God, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I love to worship God. But one of the amazing things about worshiping him is that it lifts your perspective so that you can see past the walls in your life. In other words, we elevate our perspective by praising God. We elevate our perspective by praising God. And so Joshua looks up, and what does he see? He sees uh, uh, this, this city of Jericho. He, he sees a locked-up fortress with walls to the sky. But it doesn't matter what he sees, because it's what God says is that it's his reality. It doesn't matter what he sees, because it's what God says that it's his reality. I want you to know this morning that no matter what you're looking at that looks impossible, it's not a sign that you're never going to get into what God has promised. It might just be a sign that the devil has gotten desperate because he knows he can't keep you out much longer. And he's scared. He's doing everything he can to keep you out. And so I want to tell you, lift your eyes upward today. Lift your eyes upward not outward, because your help comes from the Lord. And yet the sad thing is that so many of us never take the first step because our perspective gets blocked. All you see is that wall in front of your face. Now the second reason that stops a lot of people short of what God has promised them and I don't want this to, to go over your head because we're not talking about, you know, Jericho today, physic, the physical city of Jericho. We're talking about your personal Jericho. We're talking about how just like God promised Joshua a physical land, God has promised you every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Did you know it says that in Ephesians 1-3? Did you know that? This says that God has promised you every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. The problem, however, is that just because God has promised it, it doesn't mean you possess it. In Joshua chapter 1, he says, I have given you that land, but you got to take step, Joshua. you got to step into that promise. I've given you the land, speaking in past tense, but you got to take the step. You got to take the step. Just because God promises it doesn't mean you possess it. I don't automatically possess it just because God promised it. And so the enemy builds walls in our lives. And he puts up signs 
in front of all the places God has called us to occupy. And he tells us that we can never do it. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be spiritual enough. You're never going to pray enough. You're never going to lose enough weight. You're never going to do this enough. But praise will lift our perspective to see past the walls and see into the promise. Here's the problem. Number two, your progress isn't always obvious. You know, the first thing is your perspective gets blocked. You know, the second thing that I think keeps us out of God's promises for us is that our progress isn't always obvious. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to rewind just a little bit. God sets up a meeting with Joshua at Starbucks. And he's, that's a lie. There was no Starbucks. He sets up a meeting with Joshua. And he says, I know you've never faced an enemy like this before. I know you've never encountered a wall this high in your life before, but this is what I want you to do, Joshua. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. It sounds a little ridiculous, you know? Ram's horns and God knows what. Do this for six days. He says, on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the, on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse. Then the wall of the city collapse. Then the wall of the city will collapse. He says, then the wall of the city collapse, but I'm wondering, when is then? When is then? After six days of marching and nothing happening. After six days of marching and nothing moving. Isn't that crazy? Joshua's the only one that knows the plan. So these people are marching. And they don't know when the wall is going to collapse. They don't know. We do. We know after six days of marching. But all they see is nothing moving. You would think if God wanted to keep his people motivated to march around a wall over and over again, he would let a few bricks fall the first time. You know? In other words, if you want me to keep marching, God, if you want me to keep walking, if you want me to keep going, I need to know it's working. But God says, it's not like that, dog. It's not like that. You see, what you're going to do, Joshua, is you're going you're to get everybody out there to march around the wall, but nothing is going to move. And isn't this the way it feels a lot of times in life? Isn't this the way it feels a lot of times when you're raising your kids? Isn't this the way it feels sometimes when you're praying? Isn't this the way it feels sometimes when you're reading your Bible and it doesn't make any sense? Isn't this the way it feels sometimes when you're trying to get your finances in order and then you get a flat tire and then your transmission goes out and one thing after another, things are happening and you just can't catch a break. And so God says, here's how this is going to work, Josh. You're going to have to walk by faith, not by sight. You're going to have to walk by faith, not by what you see. You're going to have to walk around these walls and believe that I'm working, even though it doesn't seem to be working at all. I mean, we know the walls eventually do fall down because we read the end, remember? Spoiler alert, the walls do fall down. God's people do win, and they throw a massive backyard party. But for six days, for six days, they marched around Jericho, and nothing happened. You know, in the Bible, 
You may not know this, but six always represents the number of man. The number six always represents the number of man. It's man without God. Which is why seven is God's number. We're going somewhere. I ain't, I'm, I ain't giving you my points yet. But the number six is man without God. And so these men march for six days and nothing happens. Nothing happens. Not one brick falls to the ground. It's like he's saying, here's what I want you to do, Joshua. I want you to walk it out even when it doesn't work. And my question is, will you do God's will even when it doesn't work? Will you do God's will even when it doesn't work? Will you... Will you forgive even if they don't forgive you? You see, if every prayer came true while I was praying, I'd be praying all the time. I'd wake up praying in the morning. I'd be praying all day. I'd be crashing my car everywhere I go because my eyes would be closed praying in the car. If the moment I prayed, my prayer happened, you couldn't stop me from praying. But the problem is that sometimes I pray and nothing happens. And God wants to know, will you still pray? Will you still pray? Or do you only pray when you want something from me? Will you still pray? You know, this message is for someone whose progress isn't obvious right now. Because even though your progress isn't obvious, it doesn't mean your faith isn't working. What you've got to learn is to take another lap, even when nothing moves. Even when no brick falls out of the wall and your progress isn't evident, you've got to walk, and you've got to walk, and you've got to walk, and you've got to walk. You see, this is not like Tetris. Anybody remember the game Tetris? It's not like Tetris. Because in Tetris, when you completed a line, what happened to that line? It disappeared, right? It vanishes. And if I had been God designing this miracle, I would have made it like Tetris, personally. You know, when you complete one lap around Jericho, it takes about an hour to march around Jericho. So once you complete one lap, one-seventh of the wall would come down. It only makes sense, right? Seven days of marching, one row a day, right? Because it's progress. And progress is motivating, isn't it? And sometimes we need a sign to know that what we're doing is working. And God says, maybe I don't want you to know it's working. Maybe I don't want you to know that it's working because I want you to trust that what I'm doing can't be seen from the outside. Maybe there's a deeper work I want to do inside of you. Maybe the reason I let you walk around the wall and see no result is because I want you to be less focused on the outcome and more focused on obedience. Life lesson. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. Did you hear me? We got a quiet crowd up in the house today. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. And what I want you to know is that while they were walking, nothing was happening to the wall. But what was happening inside of them as their obedience was trained to obey God's instruction, even when they didn't understand it, was preparing them for the promise that they were about to receive. And now it gets even more interesting because God tells Joshua his whole plan. He says, hey, you're going to be marching for six days. Ain't nothing going to move. But on that seventh day, you're going to march seven times. And you're going to sound those trumpets and those walls, they're going to come down. And so he gives his whole plan to Joshua. But then Joshua calls the people who actually have to do the walking. 
and he tells them this. Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and, and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And, and he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word. You better keep your mouth shut until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. Because sometimes the best strategy is just to keep your mouth shut and march. Sometimes the more you talk, the more you'll talk yourself out of what God has promised you. Sometimes the best strategy is to keep your mouth closed and just keep marching. Just keep moving. Now notice in all that, I just read you what Joshua did not tell the leaders. He did tell them to march, but he didn't tell them how long they would have to do it. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if life would let you know how many laps you have left in your race? It'd be nice, wouldn't it? You see, Joshua knew that after they had marched the first day that they would have to march six more days. He knew that. He knew that they would have to march six more days before they can go in and win the battle and see God's glory displayed. But the people didn't know that. And in verse 11, it says, so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Now imagine if you were one of these soldiers, and you went out that morning with your sword on, dressed like you were about to go into battle. And you come home that night, and your wife asks, so honey, how did it go today? And every married man in this room knows the translation of when you're asked, your wife asks, how was your day today? The translation is, open up your soul and give me every single detail of your day, what you did and how you felt about it, and then I want you to ask me how my day was. And then listen for 45 minutes. So get comfortable, because we're going to be here for a while. So imagine you come home, and your wife asks, so how was your day? It was all right. Did you kill anybody? No, not really. I, I think Joshua just wanted to get a feel for the landscape, you know, and, and get a vision for the city. So we just walked around the city today. You walked around the city? Did you do anything else? We had some lunch. <laughs> we came home. Verse 14. So on the second day, they did the same thing. They marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six Days, you come home the second day and your wife says, so how did it go today, my big, strong warrior? How did it go, my big, strong, hairy man? Well, remember what I told you yesterday? We kind of did the same thing today. They did this for six days. Six days, and what makes it worse is they had no idea how many days of this they had left. I don't know about you, but I hate running. I hate running. You know, when I go running, you know what I'm thinking? I can't wait to stop. That's all I'm thinking when I'm running, which makes it all the more weird that I ran a marathon a few years ago. 
But I remember back in high school, me and one of my friends, we played football together. We would go running. And he would do these timed runs. But he thought it was really cute to not tell me how much time we had left to run. I hated it. Because I just wanted to stop the whole time. I'd be like, how much more? How much more longer? And he'd like laugh, giggle, like keep running. And I'm like, come on, man. I need to know how much more I have left. I need to know how much more longer I have to run. I need some milestones that give me the encouragement to keep running when I don't want to anymore. But you know what's funny about life? Life doesn't tell you three more miles. Life doesn't tell you just hang in there till the end of this year. Life doesn't tell you your breakthrough is just around the corner. And so you march and you march and you walk and you walk and you wonder. And you wonder, when am I going to be done with this? I don't mind walking, but I just need to know how many more laps I have left. I don't mind hanging in there. I just need to know when this is going to stop hurting like it hurts. I, I can keep my head up. I just need to know where the other side is. You see, when you're on the third lap and the fourth lap and the fifth lap and the sixth lap and you keep marching around, and you keep trying to break that same sinful habit. But you keep falling harder every time you fall. I don't mind continuing the pursuit, but I just need to know, Father, when this process is going to start bearing some fruit. I need to know when, when some of the bricks are going to start falling. And you see, the third reason people stop short of total victory is because the process is open-ended. The process is open-ended. I mean, it would be one thing if it were like a marathon because when you're running a marathon, there are mile markers that let you know how many more miles you have left. And so when you only have one mile, two miles, or, or maybe when you only have .2 miles left, they have a huge banner to let you know that this is lap number seven. And if you could just make it around this last stretch, your race is done. You're almost there. You're making progress. So keep moving forward. Don't give up. But the thing about life is it doesn't give you a mile marker. And so many times we give up not even knowing that just around the next turn, if you just don't give up in this trial, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You see, the reason you can't stop is because you might be on six and not even know it. You might be on six and not even know it. You might be so close that wouldn't it be a shame for you to quit when you're this close? Wouldn't it be a shame for you to walk away from God when you've come this far? Wouldn't it be horrible for you to fall out when you're just this close to victory? They say most people stop digging three feet from gold. You can't stop on six. You can't stop on six. You can't walk by what you see. You can't give up because it doesn't feel good. You can't let people talk you out of it. You can't let your emotions stop you from moving forward. This message is for somebody who's walking in circles. And there's a promise God has made you, and there's a problem in the way. And you're walking, 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 and you feel like, is, is there anything that's going to happen here? Uh, I just feel like I, I, I'm walking here, and I don't see anything moving, but I'm wondering how much longer am I going to have to walk around these walls? How many more nights do I have to be single? How many more friends do I have to watch get engaged? I mean, I'm trying my best to stay pure, God, but how much longer? People keep telling me to pray for my teenager. 
I keep asking for advice and I keep getting the same answer. To not give up on their walk with God, but I keep seeing them make bad decisions. I keep seeing my daughter hurt herself over and over again. How much longer? How much longer, God? Because I don't mind walking, but I'm about to wave my white flag if you don't show me something. Yet it's in the walking around the walls that in your own strength that nothing happens. And you ask God, why would you let me circle these walls six times? Why would you let me circle these walls six times, God? I mean, why wouldn't you just knock them down on the first lap? We got things to do, God. We got cities to possess. Come on. Let's be efficient here. And God says, not until you've taken six laps. Because I need you to know that once you get inside your promise, I need you to know who brought you there. I need you to know who brought you into that promise. See, if I didn't make you circle and look at those walls, you would have thought it was your shout that brought the walls down. And then you wouldn't be prepared for the promise. There's a scripture in Hebrews I want to close out with. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, and the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people that were being persecuted. And so he says, don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to what? You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, so that you, when you have done the will of God, you see, you don't have to feel it. You don't have to feel it to do it. You don't have to understand it to do it. You don't even have to like it to do it. But when you have done the will of God, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So that you will receive what he has promised. It's in the process of me circling my problem that God prepares me for his promise. He has to prepare me for what he has prepared for me. It's in the circling of the walls that I get strong enough to fight the battle once the walls fall down. And so I want to let you know that you're not circling these walls for nothing. What I need to do is persevere because this just might be my seventh lap. This just might be my seventh lap. And I might not even know it. So I just need to keep walking. I just need to keep walking. I feel the spirit of Nemo. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. Just keep walking because this might be the one. This might be the last lap. I'm not sure if it is, but I think I'm somewhere close to six. And it would be a shame for you and me to come this far and fight this hard and stop on six. So you know what I think I'll do? I think I'll stand up one more time. I think I'll get up one more time. I think I'll dust myself up and get up one more time and keep moving forward. I think I'll get up one more time and keep moving forward. Don't stop on six. Don't stop on six. This might be seven. This might be seven, but what if it's not? What if it's not? Here's my advice. Act like every lap is your last, and one day you'll be right. You've heard that. Live every day like it's your last. You play that game like it's your last game you'll ever play. You've heard it before. Act like every lap is your last, and one day you will be right. Come on, brothers and sisters. Come on. I want to encourage you, don't stop on six. Six is your effort. Six is your ability. Six is where you fall short. But I've got good news for you this morning. 
He who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Six is my number. Six is your number. Seven is his. Seven is his. And I'm going to go around one more time. I'm going to go around one more time because he's about to do something. You just need to get your knees up and keep on moving. That's what you need to do. Get those knees up. I don't know who walks like that, but you need to get your knees up and keep on moving. Keep on moving because you didn't come this far to quit. You hear me? You didn't come this far to give up. You, you, didn't, you didn't stay married this long to give up on your marriage. So just keep walking. Just keep walking because this might be the day. You feel the anticipation? It might be the day and you may not even know it, but just keep moving. Just keep moving. Just keep swimming. Just keep walking. I want to close with a prayer. And when we start praying, if you feel like, man, God, you really spoke to me today, I just want you to lift your hand. It's just not like some weird thing. It's just like I agree, God, I want you to work in my life today. I want to see you move. And even if I don't, I'm going to keep marching. Amen? amen. Come on. Can I get an amen from you? Amen. Let's bow our heads, eyes closed. You can raise your arms if you feel like, man, I need this today. Father, we come to you, some of us raising our hands this morning because we have been marching. And for some of us in this room, we are tired. We're weary, God. We, we feel like, man, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. But if I know one thing, we didn't come this far to quit. I can never shake that image in my mind of Jesus praying that night in Gethsemane and he felt like he wanted to give up. God, if there's any other way, let, let it be that way. I don't see the end in sight. I don't see what you're trying to do here, but, but not my will. Your will be done. I'm going to keep marching. I'm so glad that Jesus kept marching, that he kept marching towards that cross that day. And he didn't stop until he carried it out to completion. And that today, we would find strength in that, God, to keep marching. Even when we see no bricks falling, even when we see no progress, even when we see walls in front of our face, God, give us the strength, the courage to keep on moving. Even when what we see doesn't look like anything that you've said, give us the courage to keep on moving. Holy Spirit, empower us today with an inner strength to keep moving forward, to hold tight to the promise that you have made because you are faithful. Thank you, Father, for never changing. Thank you for being the same God that you were yesterday, that you are today, that you will be tomorrow. You are worthy of our praise. We want to give you all honor and glory today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.